Hello, I've got a bag of money and I've got a pink fluffy keyring in my hand. Can I come into your flat or can I record the Doctor Who podcast? Hello, welcome to the Doctor Who podcast and we're here today to have the fan reaction episode to The Lodger. That's what I've got. <laughs> I'm, I'm spent, you know, I'm reaching for the towel now. <laughs> Yes, hello and welcome to what I think is episode 27. It's a little bit difficult to keep track these days. There's so many podcasts coming out. Anyway, this time around, we're joined by Marty once again. As you probably figured out from the beginning of this podcast, he got locked in the camper van at the weekend. So we've got to put up with him for another 40 minutes or so, guys. Hello, Marty. (laughs) I want to go home. In the other corner, we are very privileged and honoured to be joined by none other than David Huey from the Who on Who podcast. Hello, David. Hello, gentlemen. This uh, camper van is not at all what I pictured in my mind before I got here. (laughs) Why, is it much more plush, posh, comfortable and hospitable than you thought? Sure. Yeah, we can go that way. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a little more retro than I thought, uh, but uh, but I like it. You know, having a classic series podcast, uh, I I can dig the shag carpeting and the uh, and the wood grain paneling on the wall, but I, I love it. It's all right. Yeah, the smell of patchouli covers up most of the more significant odors. <laughs> well, it's wonderful <laughs> to have you here with us, David. Um, now, I would normally say at this point, well, tell us a little bit about your podcast, but I think your son did that a couple of weeks ago on the DWP. Yeah, he did. He he was on um, talking about, uh, I believe it was Amy's Choice, mm. and, uh, and he did a bang-up job, except that he criticized me, and uh, I'll I'll take my turn at him in a little while. But other than that, yeah, he did a very good job. Oh, well, well, this is your official right to reply then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, without any further ado, let's get on and talk about fan reaction to The Lodger. So the lodger. There were some good character pieces in this. I did like the observations they made about the doctor misunderstanding social niceties such as just shouts or air kissing and getting them a little bit wrong. The response of the doctor to a comment somebody made about annihilating the team next week was very good. You are so on the team. Next week we've got the crown and anchor. We're going to annihilate them. Annihilate? No, no violence. Do you understand me? Not while I'm around, not today, not ever. I'm the doctor, the oncoming storm. And you basically meant beat them in a football match, didn't you? Yeah. For me, the most surprising thing about the episode was actually that James Corden put in a decent performance. Very odd. Never seen that before. Despite some amusing moments, the whole thing didn't really hang together for me. 
The mock-up TARDIS needs a pilot who wants to travel. Humans won't do for some reason. Time Lords would end up blowing the planet up. And a human who doesn't want to travel shuts the thing down and makes it go away, which is something that it couldn't do before because it didn't have a pilot. Okay. Where did the ship come from? Why is nobody even worrying about that? Somebody's tried to build this thing. Who was it? Nobody's even commented on that. The uncoordinated doctor, the gawky one, the one that doesn't know where his own, own arms are, is another Pele. How indulgent do you get? Is it a World Cup on or something? The doctor's somehow magically able to transfer information via headbutt. Rather conveniently, he's never doing that again. And we also find out that the TARDIS controls are, sens are sensitive to where you're standing. Eww. Yeah, the whole thing just... It really didn't gel. There were some nice bits. You could see what they were trying to do um, with a cheap, fun episode before the season finale. But, oh, it did misfire, I thought. The episode finishes with a really obvious crack shot. Amy discovering the ring that Rory, who never existed to leave the ring in the TARDIS, left in the TARDIS. And it just doesn't hang together. Okay, and this is the part of the podcast that everyone is tuned in for. We have the stats section. Now, we really ought to have some kind of jingle for that. Marty, can you come up with anything inspirationally <laughs> there? I, I dropped off there. Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Let's, let's start talking numbers then. Um, we'll talk about audience figures, first of all. There was an audience of 4.6 million viewers for episode 11, according to the unofficial overnight figures. Now, it's almost certainly going to be a heck of a long way from what the final figure is going to be, because, of course, it was up against what is probably the stiffest competition Doctor Who has had so far. And that's um, something that Marty, I know, would have been watching, and that's England versus the USA. Um, the Minder was on the other side, actually. <laughs> um, I was a bit busy watching that. Well, I have to ask, David, were you watching the soccer? Uh, no, uh, I, I'm actually not much. I see over here football is something completely different. So, um, no, I'm, I'm unfortunately did not watch uh, the World Cup. No, no. Okay, I thought I ought to ask rather than just assume that you thought football was played traditionally with an egg-shaped ball and an extremely padded kind of uh, protective gear, but um, but wanted to ask anyway. <laughs> um, how, how does this episode... Um, let's, let's not do the rest of the stats. <laughs> how does this episode compare statically, statistically, statically, um, to the others? Well, it, it's difficult to say for definite at this point because this... What, what's the... Um, sorry, what's the correct word? No, I like that word. I think we should keep it. <laughs> I, I, I think you're going. How does for, it compare? I think you're trying to go for statistically, aren't you? <laughs> no, no, that's rubbish. That, <laughs> that's, that's rubbish. I'm English. sorry. That, that's just that's yeah, just my American bastardization of English over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, statistically. Okay, shall I try and answer your question? <laughs> sorry, yeah, no, no, you enjoy okay, yourself. Um, I, I think it's very difficult to say at this particular point because the unofficial overnights are differing massively to the final barb figures this time round, and that's mainly because iPlayer's popularity is is increasing all the time. And I think this particular episode, the final figures are going to be so utterly, utterly different from the overnights because. Well, there are going to be some Doctor Who fans who would have been watching the football instead, who will then tune into Doctor Who at a later point. Uh, but comparing it to the other episodes, it's still quite low. I'd like to um, imagine that it is actually low, not because 
of the football, but because it was a poor episode. Anyway, let's let's move on to the, the next really important figure. Um, the appreciation index for the lodger was 87. Um, now, normally this kind of figure just washes straight over me, but this is the highest for the series so far. Um, actually, James, I'm, I, I have to confess ignorance. What is an appreciation figure? I'm sorry to be thick, but I actually don't know. Oh, I'm so glad you've asked me that question, Marty. Okay. Um, an AI figure. <laughs> um, when you are a sample member of the audience, so in other words, your viewing habits are monitored, by a particular gadget that you can plug into a TV, you're required to actually complete some kind of survey after each program. So, you know, it's a fairly um, intensive process being part of the audience figures in this way. And one of the gauges that is used and is really very, very respected within the industry is the appreciation index. And it's, it's quite a carefully structured index. Um, and it's segmented, and I think there's a major, major difference um, between 84 and 85, and anything over 85 is exceptional. And prior to... I'm bet you're glad you asked this question now, Marty, aren't you? Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm actually really, really intrigued by this, and, and, and I have a problem with it as <laughs> Yeah, well I'm now. sure, because <laughs> um, I, I would take it that you're not um, a sample viewer. Uh, no, no, I, I don't have to fill out any surveys. I mean, th th it, it does affect probably the, the appreciation of it if you're having to sit down and watch it and score it out of 20, mm -hmm. say. If, if you have to sit down and review something properly and you have to sit down and give an absolutely detailed description or multiple choice or whatever it is, I I'm not entirely sure then, then that, that's going to affect the way you view it in the first place. No. It, it, you're not just watching it as, as um, a casual member of the audience or, or a fan or anyone else. You're actually sitting down there on purpose to actually do something, you know, constructive for someone for five pounds or whatever. <laughs> How much do they get for it? I, 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 I somehow doubt they'd actually get paid for it, but um, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm... <laughs> well, what's the point? <laughs> There's no point. I, I was considering doing it. And... <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're all crazy. That's all I can, uh, <laughs> that's all I can assume. Um, right, moving on to uh, the fact... Oh, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> This is the problem when I always used to record with you, Mark. I spend most of my time laughing rather than saying what I'm supposed to say. Uh, <laughs> explaining really, really simple points to my poor It's not. Brain. And, you know, we, we've had to explain it a couple of times in the past on the WhoCast. And I, I, I still don't have a really good grasp of what it means. I know it's good. <laughs> I know 87 is a really good score. Um, I suppose I should say that, really. I mean, <laughs> 87 <laughs> is actually the highest of the series so far. I think the highest prior to the Lodger was the Time of Angels, and that was 86, I think. So, so far, this particular episode has been enjoyed the most by the audience who have been watching it. Hi, Doctor Who podcast chaps. It's Adam here from the 20 Megabyte Doctor Who podcast. Uh, your latest uh, review podcast of The Lodger spurred me into action. Uh, quickly to say that I absolutely love the story, but like I say, I'm, I'm not fussy. And I must admit, if this uh, thing about story arcs hadn't come into Doctor Who in recent years, this episode would have stood on its own quite quite comfortably. Um, what 
sort of upset me a little bit about uh, your comments it was the fact that the doctor was able to play football um being rubbish at football myself and absolutely loving the game and knowing that some people hate football and able to step on the football field and be absolutely brilliant is really annoying and the doctor is uh, an alien and obviously his balance uh, uh, allows him to be extremely good at football uh, it doesn't seem to be a problem with me Anyway, keep up the good work and I'll see you later. Daddy, bye. Let's talk about the fan reaction in terms of votes. Uh, over at the Doctor Who online forums, there's been a total of 222 votes. And so far, at the time of recording, the highest score has been 5 out of 5. And that's 46% of everyone who's voted. And 77% of everyone who's voted have given it either a four or a five out of five. So, you know, it's, it's fairly well received, really. As much as I, I, I don't appreciate this episode, I'm really glad that people are enjoying it. It's, it's, it's something I've, I've always maintained. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. As long as people are enjoying the show, and this is what we, the show that we love, it's that that's the important thing. People are really, really enjoying mm. it, and that's good. There might be misguided in this <laughs> Uh, instance <laughs> i'm kidding but no oh, yes. i'm, well I'm beginning to find it quite interesting um, this is the only interesting thing i find about these audience figures really um is is to actually compare the viewing statistics and the appreciation index to the fan reaction and sometimes mm. you know they are pretty much in alignment with each other i think there are times like this episode where they do disagree somewhat because fandom does seem to be fairly split when you start reading the substantial the substantive posts on the forum um but yeah it's you know people over at doctor who online seem to think this episode was quite good um over at our own forums uh, the highest score has been four out of five and that was 45.8 percent of our members voted it very good um, and only a few I think it was about four percent voted it very good so again a slight difference in opinion there um, one of the things that I have picked up from the forums is that people seem to think that this particular episode was extremely British um, and people have talked about the football and obviously you know soccer is part of the UK nation really it's part of our culture um, nearly 20 million viewers tuned in to watch the first game that England played in the World Cup. Um, they also seem to allude, allure to the humour uh, that was very present within this episode. And they said it's very, very British. And uh, David, I'm interested in your take on that. Did you think this was particularly inaccessible in any way because it was, you know, full of British humour? Or what, what was your take on it? No, not at all. I, I um, actually watched this a couple of times. And um, before the episode aired, there was a four-minute clip that my son Marty and I got to watch of various scenes and um, laughed out loud, you know, quite a bit. And and the the comedy came from the timing, which I think is universal, irregardless of whether it's British humor, American humor, you know, whatever. Um, it came from that, and it came from uh, Matt Smith's portrayal of being slightly uncomfortable. I think in not only his own skin, but his portrayal as a human being or trying to pass himself as a human being um so no i thought it was universal i, I didn't see anything that was 
specifically uh, British, I, you know, or, or terms that I wasn't familiar with or anything like that. So I'm not sure um, where that criticism might be coming from. Mm. I don't think it was actually a criticism. It was just a comment to say that, you know, one of the strengths of Doctor Who is the fact that it is very British. You know, it's historically been very British. The classic yes. series was very British. And that, in a way, is its appeal uh, overseas. And, and yet they seem to think that through the sheer eccentricity demonstrated by Matt Smith here um, in his portrayal as a doctor, because he wasn't just... He wasn't just eccentric. He was, quite frankly, mad, in, in my view, in a way that we've not seen <laughs> since since Tom Baker. And people seem to think that was deliberately playing on the quirky, quintessential British stereotype. I, I don't think so. I, I think um, more than anything, and I'm probably saying this as an, as an older gentleman, um, that, uh, that it's playing more on that age demographic and, and how they can be somewhat awkward put in a unfamiliar situation. You know, we all could at that age, really at any age. But um, I think it was more uh, telling of that than it was cultural. Let's move on to some of the feedback we've been actually getting on on our forums. And uh, this is from a chap called Merck. Just a short comment. And he says, I thought this was a bit of a mess. James Corden didn't suck, which surprised me, to be honest. <laughs> and, there were, and there were some good set pieces. However, the whole thing was confused and confusing. And this uncoordinated doctor is another Pele. How indulgent. Now, there's a couple of things I wanted to pick up on here. First of all, um, Marty, I, I know your opinion of James Corden. I know you're one of his biggest fans. Um, but what I wanted to do mm. was um, <laughs> was actually once again get the American perspective because, David, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're aware, a lot of people um, approach this episode having a pretty fixed idea of what James Corden is capable of in terms of his acting ability. And right. In, in all honesty their opinion in the main is that he doesn't really have much ability. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. it, it's a case of James Corden playing James Corden. Now, I'm just interested in, in how you, you saw his performance. Oh, well, I think um, I saw him as being very believable in the limited you know, scope, I'm sure, that they gave him of the character, and that is somebody who um, I think it was summed up perfectly when the doctor said to him he was starting to look like his sofa. And, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a guy who, who's got, um, who's got ideas, um, but a lot of fear. And he's at that point in his life where, you know, he's afraid to tell the woman that he loves that he loves her. He's afraid to go to his boss and say, your, your business model stinks. And, and, you know, I have this idea. Um, so I, I thought he did quite well. And, and when we were talking about the, uh, viewing figures before, um, it occurred to me that I'd be very curious to see how, the regular viewing figures over there stack up with it when it airs on BBC America because there is no preconceived notion of James Corden over here. And I'm wondering how much of a factor that was in the British audience because I'd never heard of the guy before. And, and it was really after this and his little spat with Patrick Stewart, you know, recently that, uh, uh, is the only attention that, that I've ever given him. I, I didn't even know who he was. I, I thought he was pretty good, I have to say, and I, I, I had heard of him prior to his um, rather public 
debate with Patrick Stewart. Although it has to be said, it sounds like this guy is now, you know, come to international fame through having an argument with Patrick Stewart rather than starring in something, you know, like, like Doctor Who or, or Gavin and Stacey. Um, so mm-hmm. maybe that was quite a good career move. Who knows? And, and you know, it, we basically heard the same thing about Catherine Tate before she came on. You know, when she was announced as a companion, everybody was up in arms about that. But then when she debuted, everyone stepped back and basically said the same thing. I really expected to to hate her portrayal in Doctor Who, but she, you know, but I didn't, you know, I mean, and she turned out to be, you know, much better than everyone expected. So. I, I really, I really had to, to eat humble pie about that one as well. I, I was um, when. One of those people said, no, no way. What a ridiculous choice. This is awful. I'm never going to watch this program ever again. <laughs> okay, I'll watch it, but I won't like it. And I, I really, really enjoyed her performance and, and her role and, and everything about her, you know, her part in, in the show. The point also was raised by the chap who um, posted that message saying that the inclusion of the doctor playing football was incredibly indulgent or or self-indulgent, I think he means. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's probably worth pointing out that in the 2006 comic strip, the doctor who within the comic strip was David Tennant always played football. So that was always there. It wasn't a deliberate scene put in because of the day it was being broadcast or because Matt Smith enjoys playing football he was a professional footballer uh, before an injury um, ended mm-hmm. his, uh, his his career but that was actually a fundamental part of the story and for me it worked quite well I have to say okay moving on to our second post a little bit longer this one um, unsure about this requires a second viewing I did not like the doctor hiding away whilst people were being killed upstairs it didn't feel right to me and I thought that was quite an interesting point mm. as well because I, I yes. can't remember another instance where the doctor deliberately avoided a conflict uh, with a villain irrespective of consequences human nature Mm. he turned himself human to avoid a conflict (laughs) because he knew that if he had to to uh punish them if you will he was going to have to do something very extreme Mm. so you could argue that you could. I think those two circumstances are very different. They, they are. They are yeah, but, I, I agree with you there. But yeah, um, yeah, you're, you are right. I suppose he didn't... Maybe he turning himself human or into a human. I mean, that was an, a, an attempt to hide from them whilst perhaps mm-hmm. trying to draw them out. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure. I thought this was quite overt, and I think the poster could could have a point here. And I'm thinking right. about other doctors as well, particularly the two bakers, uh, number four and number six. I can't imagine them biding their time downstairs. They'd have just been woof, straight up there, I would have thought. Yeah, that... yeah what, what, what was the purpose of, of him being so cautious and not going up there and at the same time not realizing people were going up there to their doom? I had a thought on this, and, and I don't know if this was actually stated in the episode or if it was just something that occurred to me. Um, I don't know if maybe his concern was that if something happened to him, Amy would be forever trapped in the TARDIS. You know, it would be one thing if they had landed and they were both out of the TARDIS. If he gets killed, the TARDIS will just stop functioning. But because she is where she is and she's trapped, maybe his concern was that if he was too reckless and something happened to him, 
she could never be saved. I, I don't know. That's just a thought. Well, it works. Yeah, that's retconning right there for you, folks. <laughs> there is a line in the script somewhere that says that he, he, where he addresses the fact that he can't just go running upstairs. And also, while a sonic screwdriver doesn't appear in the episode, and that was because he didn't know what he was dealing with. It was, right. it was hidden. But again, it's certainly not the first time the Doctor's gone into a situation not knowing what he's dealing with, and that hasn't prevented him in the past. So I just thought that was an interesting point. Um, there's a few others that he mentions uh, in his post. He says there was no mention of John Smith, which I thought was inconsistent. Yes. And I don't know about inconsistent. I'm not sure if that's the word I would use. I was a little bit surprised when he insisted on calling himself the doctor when he was playing football. I thought that would have been a perfect opportunity to say, oh, yeah, John Smith. Yeah, I agree. I, I kind of wondered about that. I think that was more played for the laughs than mm. it was. Uh, that it, then it actually made any story sense for him not to mm. uh, adopt the John Smith persona. Mm. Yeah, and he hasn't always taken on the John Smith persona either. I mean, was it Tooth and Claw when he called himself James McCrimmon or something? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure there's been other instances as well where you know he hasn't bothered using a pseudonym or anything. I think it just depends what mood he's in, quite frankly. Right. And uh, this doctor seems to just say the first thing that comes out of his mouth rather than plan anything as complicated as... Uh, as a as a fake name, there 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 is some something wrong there. I mean, um, how much could we take away from this last episode that was him being just saying things for a laugh, or him not actually knowing what football is? <laughs> oh well, that's funny. That's the very next point that this chap mentions. Actually, he doesn't he, he refers doesn't refer to football explicitly, but says he thought the lack of knowledge about Earth customs didn't wash, as these days the majority of adventures happen on Earth, in brackets, the UK, to be precise. And the thing is, I don't have a major problem with that, I have to say. I I think that the Doctor's grip on reality and his perception changes in every incarnation. And, you know, David Tennant's Doctor was very, very human and you wouldn't have expected him to be out of place in this kind of situation. Whereas certain parts of the Doctor's character have been reset within Matt Smith's persona Mm -hmm. and i i've just put it down to regeneration so i think parts of his memory may not necessarily be as clear or as important to him in this incarnation as they were beforehand so i I really didn't have a problem with that and yet it's something that's been mentioned quite a bit on the forums i I don't know if either of you uh listen to um well you don't have to say there's another podcast let me not plug it but uh (laughs) the the uh the host um posits a theory that the 10th Doctor was was so human as a defense mechanism because that caused him pain when he regenerated. He's repressed so much of that that now in his 11th incarnation, he's he's much less human, you know, in, in, in understanding things and, and being comfortable around human beings and that sort of thing. And it kind of makes I, sense. I, lo- I love that idea, and I, I love the way us fans justify it. Sure we do, yeah. Oh, that... that that's got we chip have to. written all over it. I haven't heard it. That is chip. Got, yeah, yeah, that is yeah, chip. Yeah, chip. That, that is chip. Yeah. I've told that guy. I met him at Gallifrey the same time I met you, David. I, I think he needs to get out considerably more. Um, but having said that, it's 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 a brilliant theory. And the thing is, you can't say it's not true. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, it's it is a brilliant theory, and and I liked it's it. A and, great idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Moving on to a slightly different post, and this was over at the DWO forums. And again, I'm not quite sure whether this has got a point or any basis, but I thought it was quite an interesting post nonetheless. 
Has anyone noticed that series FNARG, um, obviously this poster is still calling it FNARG, apart from gay overtones, has more Mary Whitehouse moments than even the RTD era had, including knocking the elderly off rooftops, companion snogging, companion death, and last night's headbutting. <laughs> Which <laughs> is interesting. Um, because I think he's probably right, <laughs> uh, that there are far more over controversial elements about Series 5 that RTD did steer clear of, I think. Are we, are we getting bogged down in, into um, we must never change? <laughs> because, you know, when, when we started uh, back, in, back in Eccleston's day, when, when, when who came back, you know, it, it was a different era, even back then. We had more hair. <laughs> well, maybe you did. I, I didn't. But we had a spring in our step. We, are, we, we could eat two burgers in one night without having a heart attack. <laughs> maybe you could. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it is interesting um, because, I mean, I think for, even from the conversation that uh, you, Marty, had with um, Tom and Trevor at the weekend, uh, about the headbutting, mm -hmm. I mean, headbutting in schools, I mean, was I don't know whether or not that was... A really serious point because I don't think kids just copy absolutely everything they see off TV and just because it's Doctor Who and they've reenacted scenes from Daleks doesn't necessarily mean they're going to reenact scenes of physical violence um, I mean from what from what's been said in the past um, I understand some people wanting to headbutt James Corden but I don't necessarily think that that's going to be emulated in the playground um so I, I i think you know it can venture into slightly controversial scenes and acts and not have to worry too much i don't think what, what i do think <laughs> is interesting is the way that matt smith coordinates or communicates with people is to headbutt them and the way the 10th doctor did it was uh, a genetic transfer by kissing his companions just mm -hmm. just just a subtle <laughs> difference you know <laughs> yeah i mean give, give them the choice would you kiss james corden no i'd headbutt him i i think <laughs> yes The last thing that we wanted to discuss on this podcast, or the one that I wanted to discuss, was this regular section we've come up with. Cookie theory. Of the week. Ooh. Yes. Now, first of all, I wanted to ask you, David and Marty, have you come up with any, or have you found any strange theories on the internet at all? I found one today, looking Wonderful. around, because because I anticipated this. And uh, I don't know if this... Um, if this came out this week, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the person that came up with this, but they deserve credit. This is a great theory that River Song is actually uh, the human uh, or a human incarnation of the TARDIS. Oh, that is cute. Now, they go on to, to kind of defend that, okay? She can fly the TARDIS better than the Doctor. She knows his real name. In, in, you know, in what way, who would the Doctor be closest to? Obviously, the TARDIS, you know, uh, everyone's saying maybe she's his wife. But if she is the TARDIS or at least some you know manifestation of the TARDIS, it explains so much. That diary that she's carrying is in the shape of the TARDIS, you know, or at least the cover is. And I loved it. I read it and I thought I never would have thought of that one. But that one's pretty good. Well, that makes sense about killing the doctor as well. 
Well, yeah, because the TARDIS might blow up. Just something I'm trying to consider. I mean, the idea of a sentient TARDIS is quite old. I think it's uh, originated all the way back in the BBC books. There was a character called Compassion, I think. Yeah, the Eighth Doctor, I think possibly Sam or Fitz. I can't remember which companion was with him at the time. And I, it was getting a little bit too surreal for me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm. That, that's when I gave up. Yeah, yeah. But what kind of crime would Riversong have been guilty of? I mean, would that she was being punished for? You know, illegal materialization or something? I mean, it's. Uh, it's that's true. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, she was in prison, so. It's, it's interesting. Um, the Pandorica opening, and we're getting into kind of speculation here, which is, you know, which I think is good. And I've certainly I wanted to try and uh, at least get your um, take on what's going to happen in the final, or a pair of your take. A pair of your take? It doesn't make any kind of sense whatsoever. <laughs> Let, let's have a pair of our take. <laughs> All right. Well, I wanted you know to find how. out what yeah. the. B- pair of our take. Pair of our take. Ching, ching. Oh, great. So I I, I get a jingle when I don't want one. And yet when I want a jingle, jingle. (laughs) he's stuck in a time loop right now, James. You know, we're talking about a Pandorica. Everyone's assuming it's going to be a box of some kind. Clearly the TARDIS is a box. Is it going to be opened or in other words, exploded? Um, Is indeed Riversong somehow you know, going to materialise. Is she the Pandorica? It's it's all very interesting at the moment. But um, whether or not that was a particular kooky theory of the week, I think that's one of those that will only be, you know, explained, I think, once we've seen the end of episode 13. And if it's true, then of course we'll say it's a wonderful insight and really, really clever prediction. But if it isn't true, we'll just write it off and say it's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we'll have to wait and see. But... What do you think, David? I mean, we've been given so many, you know, hints about the finale. You know, are the Daleks coming back? And, you know, lots of other monsters, are they possibly coming back? What's actually going to happen in the finale? How's how's the crack going to be rectified? Well, I think we're going to see um, many of the Doctor's past uh, adversaries, the Daleks, the Cybermen, um, some of RTD's creations like the Jadoon and, and uh, the Slovene probably, things like that. Uh, even if it's just in um, glimpses or, or just, yeah, I don't know if it's uh, similar to like uh, how we saw images of all the previous doctors in, in the 11th hour, that sort of thing. Uh, I think we are going to see that. Um, I think somehow previous incarnations of the doctor are going to factor in because it's been stressed so much this season. Um, somebody pointed out on one of the forums that, um, in the, in the lodger, Matt Smith was wearing the number 11 on his Jersey when he was playing football. Um, you know, and he mentioned to, uh, to James Corden's character, he referred to himself as 11th, you know, and we, and we did see some, some other past incarnations again. Um, so I think that's going to play out somehow. Even in interviews, uh, Stephen Moffat has has gone out there to explicitly say there aren't eleven doctors. There's only one doctor. He's the same man, you know, in in all these different uh, you know things. So I, I think that's going to factor in. Um, I don't know. I, I I I'm I'm kind of weighing in with a lot of fans who've speculated that this great terrible um, thing is actually the doctor. Uh, in in some way, shape, or form. So, nah, you know, we'll, I, it remains to be seen. Um, my concern is that um, people are expecting Stephen Moffat to pay off this series 
much better than RTD ever could or ever did. And while I think he may be able to do that, I think there's so much speculation among the fan community, there's no way he's going to be able to satisfy everybody. He is a much tidier writer than RTD. And I, yes. I think the crack, you know, despite it being exceptionally overt in some episodes, it's not really very subtle, is it? You know, no. especially when they zoom in on it as they did in uh, The Beast Below. But I do think oh, it will. That annoyed me so <laughs> much. But it's just in case you missed it. It had to zoom in on that. Oh, does it crack? Crack Alamari gold, yeah. Well, perfect. but 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 in defense now, that was the second episode, and so they were setting up the fact that this was an arc, I think. Oh, I, 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 I agree, but that's one thing so far that Moffat hasn't done as well. He he hasn't credited the viewer with as much intelligence as RTD did. I mean, I think the flip side to that is that something like Bad Wolf made absolutely no sense, or at least in my yes. mind it made no sense. And I think the crack will be central to the resolution of episode 13. Um, one question I wanted to ask you both before, Marty, I move on to your predictions. Um, are we going to see a cliffhanger <laughs> to episode 13 this time around? You mean after episode 13, James? Yeah. Or do you mean At the end of episode 13, are we going to get a nice, neat resolution? Or are we going to have to wait until the Christmas special to see how this ramps up? I'm not certain we will. Um, I, I, th I think the next two episodes are going to be far too intense to leave us with another, oh my God, when's it going to come back? Yeah, I think the Christmas episodes need to probably stay as standalone. So I don't know that they'll leave us hanging because when they come back at Christmas, the viewers will be, okay, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Last time we saw the doctor, he was, you know, being burned alive or whatever, you know, and now here he is at Christmas yeah. time. So, yeah, I agree. I think it'll it'll be paid off at the end. Well, the reason why I was asking the question is because from what we've heard about the finale, there's going to be so much thrown at it. And I think for the first time since Who Came Back in 2005, we've seen so many setups in previous episodes you know we've seen the Daleks we've seen River Song uh, we know we've got Cybermen coming um, we think that TARDIS in the lodger is going to make another reappearance at some point we've had the thousand year reference uh, within Cold Blood and the Hungry Earth there's so many things here that need to be addressed is an hour and a half going to be enough uh, to tie up all of those loose ends and deal with its own story and resolve everything in a nice neat way inside of an hour and a half and i'm beginning to wonder whether or not we're going to get most of the answers but the main answer will be resolved later on i mean moffat is certainly a clever enough writer to make that work um i i think having a bolted on cliffhanger like the titanic coming through you know i think that's relatively easy to do um, and, and just kind of whet people's appetites perhaps but um, I'm wondering whether or not we're going to see something a little bit more structured a little bit more deliberate um, and I, do, I just wonder you know it, it, it may happen it may not I, I think it probably won't but uh, but it's certainly been discussed on the forums and it's well here, that here's, um, like to here's see. something we have not seen since since who came back uh, and let me ask you your opinion about this would Moffat be so cruel to extend the story arc into season six, I mean, all the way through season <laughs> six, would he pay off most of it, like you said, but then the majority, the underlying, whatever it is, leave that running all through season six as well? 
I think that's got to be less tempting, just because okay. I can't stand another 13 episodes of seeing a crack. Right. <laughs> but you never know. It is possible. And mm -hmm. one of the things Moffat said he was going to do and has done so convincingly is put his mark on it. And, of course, we haven't seen his brand of season finale yet. And we're assuming it's going to be big because of all of the rumoured returns of various different monsters. And there was <laughs> there was even a mention of Dravins as well. And I'd love to see the 2010 version of Dravins. That would be really interesting. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't know is, is the answer. And I think we're just having to speculate. I'd like to see something different to what we've been used to, yes. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, whether or not Moffat will be that brave, we have, we have to wait and see. Greetings, brother Tom and James of the TWP. This is Dr. Phil here in the Chicago area with a, some thoughts that might qualify as Kooky Theory of the Week. Now, months before the beginning of Series 5, there was a lovely little Blue Peter competition designed the TARDIS console. And we still have yet to see if that actually will be something cobbled together at some point in any of the stories at the end of the season, um, leading for a little conjecture that they might be involved in, this, in the two-part season finale. But thinking back to the lodger, I must agree with Tom that I do think the architecture of the timeship does seem to match um, elements of the McGann TARDIS, um, including the central column, um, and also the metal pylons that surround the central column area. Gives some thoughts to what what Trevor was discussing about the mark of the Ronnie um, TARDIS um, that he mentioned in the last TWP. And I have to say the last episode was great because I listened to it twice because it was the most enjoyable banter that you guys have had in any episode. Nonetheless, back on the subject, here are some thoughts about what this time shift could be. What could it be something for next season? Maybe possibly the TARDIS... Um, that was owned by the master before he became Professor Yana. Another thought is that it could have been a Gallifreyan timeship um, where the master had killed its crew before becoming Professor Yana. So that kind of is the same same thought, really. Um, could it have been a lost battle TARDIS from the Time War? Also, um, could it be a Gallifreyan escape pod carrying Romana? That's wishful thinking, because I really like the second Romana and would like to see her return. Other thoughts, of course, that have probably been splattered across the Internet of things, such as the Ronnie's TARDIS, hinted a little bit in discussions uh, last TWP, or even River Song ship, because we don't know how she gets about, and we will probably slowly start to find out a little bit more about her, but the fact that her backstory or future story or timey-wimey story is all shrouded mystery could lead for a lot of interesting possibilities in the season finale and next season. Nonetheless, guys, keep up a great job the great job you guys are doing on the podcast, and I'm um, sorry to be kind of away for a while, always catching up on Doctor episodes rather late. So nonetheless, um, always a joy to hear all of your comments, theories, banter, disagreements, all of the above. Great makes for great commentary. So, oh, there's another thought. Maybe some commentaries on some of the um, episodes this season for the off-season, maybe? Well, we'll see. Anyway, take care, guys. Bye-bye. Well, I think that's a pretty good point at which to wrap up this podcast. Uh, David, it's been wonderful to have you on board. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Oh, thank um, you. And, and let me just say real fast, I just want to compliment you and 
everyone uh, not only on doing a great podcast, but but being very patient with my schedule getting me on here because uh, I was supposed to be on, as you know, to do Amy's Choice, and then my son Marty filled in for me, and uh, then I was supposed to be on last week, and that didn't work out, and uh, unfortunately, sometimes real life gets in the way, but you've uh, all been very understanding and um, were very accommodating to me, and, and I thank you for that. No, no problem. It's it's been more than worth the wait, David. Um, and do you want to... Uh, it's a pleasure to virtually meet you, David. <laughs> yes, pleasure is all mine. Um, do you want to just mention where people can go and hear you review your DVDs and talk about all other things Doctor Who? Absolutely. Uh, we have a website. It's uh, whoonwho.com. That's spelled H-O-O on who.com. Uh, some very nifty artwork uh, out there, and uh, we review the classic series of Doctor Who from 1963 to 1989. And uh, my son Marty, uh, great name, by the way. Uh, my son Marty Absolutely. and I do it, Brilliant. and um, uh, we have a, a good time uh, doing it. So, um, yeah, please come by and check us out. We look forward to meeting you in person once again at Gallifrey next year. Are you planning on going? I am, and I'm uh, hopefully going to drag Marty along with me. So, oh, uh, fantastic! Uh, okay. We'll have we'll have him there. Okay, Marty, it's been a pleasure as always. Been a long time since we've recorded, <laughs> isn't it? it? It is. Yeah, we were trying to figure out when it was. And it was. It was last decade. <laughs> it was. It was last a century. long, long old time ago. Yeah, <laughs> it was one three seven six AD. <laughs> Okay. I never know how to finish those conversations with you. I really don't. No, no, just just, just move on. <laughs> just walk away. Okay, Marty, would you, would you like to do another live round-off uh, for this edition of the podcast? <clears throat> Thank you for listening to the Doctor Who podcast. You can send feedback into us um, at... What's the address? Feedback at the, at the Doctor Who podcast.com. Uh, join us at obviously the website uh, the Doctor Who Podcast.com and there is other things which are brilliant. <laughs> That's all and bye for now. You guys could read the ingredients off of a gum wrapper and sound sophisticated. I, I have to tell you, but uh, yeah, love listening to you talk.